the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had been faithful to the children of Israel. They were finally in the land of promise, ready to conquer, ready for victory. God dried up the waters of the Jordan River at its swell season. Once across, the Israelites consecrated themselves and celebrated the Passover in enemy territory. Their first obstacle was the walled city of Jericho. God had promised them that he would give them the city. We see God's miraculous and wonderful hand as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. People usually think of, of course, when you think of Joshua, you think of this, right? You think of Joshua 6. I mean, that's like the big event. Got a whole VeggieTales episode on it and everything. This is the big event. My Bible reading when I was a newer believer, I would get to Joshua and I'd be all excited. Like, oh yeah, that's when that happens. And it's this little tiny short chapter and like half of Joshua is property distribution. Seriously. So like we're going to get to the halfway point and we'll probably move a little bit quicker. But, but here, this is that point that most of us think about. This special moment where the walls come tumbling down. Well, before we get to that, I need to ask you a question. Have you ever, ever read the opening lines of an instruction manual? I'm not a hoarder, but I do save certain things. And I save every instruction manual just in case it's ever needed. And I have a little cabinet. And I opened them up because I was curious, you know, if they all said similar things. And the start of them are pretty much all the same because it's like legalese disclaimer. They're pretty similar regardless of the product. And here's one I found in the drawer where I keep our manuals. It says, important safety instructions. Your apparatus is designed and manufactured to operate by defined designed limits. Misuse may result in electric shock or fire. To prevent your apparatus from being damaged, the following instructions should be observed for the installation, use, and maintenance of your apparatus. Read the following safety instructions before operating your apparatus and keep these instructions in a safe place for future reference. You know, we've been given the instruction manual of God's word, haven't we? And if we're going to experience the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross, we need to follow our manual to the T. We've looked at a lot of lessons that Joshua teaches us about how to walk in the victory Christ won for us on the cross. But this lesson tonight is super important. And we're going to see it in action as God brings down the walls of Jericho to give Israel their first victory in the promised land. So Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into your hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. 
And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. I have read that so many times over the course of my Christian life. I've seen it read by others. It's a very famous passage here. I kind of always get goosebumps when I read it. It says here to start off with that Jericho was straightly shut up. It just means it was shut up, shut up. Hebrew with double words for emphasis. It was straightly, it was tightly shut up. Jericho felt their only chance was their impenetrable walls, so they didn't want anyone sneaking in who could open the gates from the inside and bypass their best defense. No one went out and no one came in. While that's the case, this is what Joshua is seeing in front of him. Because remember the context of chapter 5 is Joshua goes out toward the city. He's in the city limits of Jericho. And there he sees this soldier with a sword drawn. And of course, it's the Lord, right? And he comes up and he says, whose side are you on? And of course, the Lord says, that's not the right question. He says, no, I'm captain of the Lord's host, not you. And that's when Joshua falls on his face and he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? That's the right question. Well, now we get the answer to that question. What do you want me to do? He wanted him to worship first, take the shoes off his feet. This is holy ground. And Joshua does. But now he gets the instructions for the city. It's almost as if Joshua looks up, he sees the situation. These walls have to be overcome. And the Lord says unto him in verse 2, see. That phrase means you must understand this. You must understand this. You need to see this. You need to see it with your mind. You need to understand this. And what is it? I have given into your hand Jericho and the king thereof and all the mighty men of valor. Israel's not going to take Jericho, which is why Joshua doesn't need to worry about the walls. God is going to give it to Israel. And if we are going to walk in the victory that Jesus secured for us, we must understand the things that God does and the things that you and I do. Otherwise, we will live a defeated Christian life. You say, what do you mean? Well, for example, I can never atone for my sins. Christ did that on the cross for me. I can never improve on that. I can never add to that atonement. Jesus said, it is finished. It was completed by him. If I am trying to earn God's forgiveness, guess what? You're going to be attempting to do something that's not your job to do. And as a result, you will be walking around in condemnation all the time because you will realize you don't earn God's forgiveness. You're not worthy of God's forgiveness. And therefore, you will feel like you're not forgiven, that God couldn't forgive you or can't forgive you. That's God's job. If you try to do God's job, you will be frustrated in your Christian life. You'll walk around defeated in your Christian life. On the other hand, God will never make you and me trust his finished work on the cross. He's not going to all of a sudden turn us into a robot where we go, oh, I must be saved. And we all of a sudden go against our free will and we you know, say, I'm going to become a Christian. He will not do that for us. I must make a conscious decision to rest in the finished work of Christ for my forgiveness. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells those Christians who are struggling, labor, work hard to enter into that rest that Christ secured for us. That's our job. You want to work hard at something? Work hard in trusting in the finished work of Christ. That is your part. God's part was to do the the work for our forgiveness. But your part is to trust in that finished work. Now, if you are waiting for God to overrule your stubbornness and your self-righteousness, then you'll just become very bitter at God. You say, why am I not changing? Why, Why is this? Why that? 
I was going, I'm not going to overrule your stubbornness or self-righteousness. Now the Lord might bring you to your knees. <laughs> I've had that happen to me many times. But he's not going to overrule your free will. You have to surrender. You have to decide to trust him. In Israel's case, in this situation, it was not their job to defeat Jericho, its walls, its king, or its soldiers. It was their job to follow God's instructions. So what is Israel's part in the victory? God's part was he said, I'll deal with the walls and the soldiers, the city, the king, all that. Here's your part, verse 3. And you shall compass the city, all you men of war, and go around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. So for six days, they're to march around the city. Israeli soldiers, they were to surround the city. That's what it means to compass. You shall surround the city. So like they were laying siege to the city, this would be nothing weird or new. They would make a camp around the city, out of range of bowshot, things like that. But the idea was, is that no one's getting out. You are tightly shut up in your city, not because you've shut the doors, but because we're outside. A normal tactic for a situation like this. But where it becomes different is when God tells the soldiers to walk around the perimeter of the city once for six days. I love what one old commentator said about this. He said, the repetition during several days of this procession about the city could only be designed to exercise Israel in an unconditional faith and a patient trust in the power and assistance of God. That's all it could be designed for. And to impress deeply upon them that it was the omnipotence and fidelity of Jehovah alone which would give into their hand this fortified city. So for Israel, every day, this was a step of faith to say, Lord, we are trusting that that is your part. The part that you're doing is to give us a city to conquer our foes. We're doing our part. Do you understand that? That was why God had them do this. Now, this would be a bit odd for the people of Jericho to watch. I'm going to bring up later on what it might have meant to them. But on day seven, after they've watched this routine for six days, day seven, everything would change. Look at verse four. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall surround the city or go around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, really long blast, then when you hear that sound of that trumpet, All the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people will ascend up, every man straight before him. The idea here is that the the walls will collapse under themselves. When archaeologists discovered this layer of Jericho, they concluded that because of the collapse of the walls upon themselves, that it was an earthquake that did it. This was not soldiers pushing the walls over. There was no structure from that sense of an armed force destroying the walls after they took the city, that it was sudden and it was a collapse from the bottom, where the bottom just, it was the foundations were ruptured and everything just came crashing down. I don't care if God did it with an earthquake. He doesn't need to. It really doesn't matter to me. I just find it interesting that the archaeology confirms everything that the Bible says. Everything here. The idea of ascending up. I showed you the visual a couple weeks ago of the, the way that Jericho worked. You had this outer kind of breach wall outside. And then you had this, at the Finding Nemo ride at Disney, I think it is. There's like, there like these kills at an angle that go up like around the area where outside where you wait. Well, that's where all the houses outside the city were. Everyone's going, I don't know the visual and it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll cut that from the tape. 
But the idea is they had these inclines that went up to another wall that reached 27 feet high. I mean, it was a death trap if you were going to try to scale this. I mean, how do you set a ladder on an incline like that? How do you survive getting over the first breach wall and then moving up again and climbing another wall? You don't. So for this idea for the walls to collapse or rupture from the bottom and then the entire walls to collapse down and then that God tells the people ascend up. The wording would not normally be said that way. It would normally be storm the gates or something like that. No, they would have to ascend up this incline and every man straight before him or in a straight line. In other words, get into the city immediately. Don't dilly-dally by turning right or left. Yes, this is a miracle you just saw, but you keep your ranks and you do your job. Those were the instructions God gave. Very clear, right? Very clear. And so, verse 6, we see what Israel does. They follow God's instructions for the first six days. Verse 6 says, And Joshua the son of Nun, he called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. He instructs the priests with that. And then he says to the people, Pass on and go ahead and surround the city. Go make camp and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. All the soldiers go first in the front. And so it came to pass, verse 8, when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord. The Lord referring to the ark of the covenant there. The idea was God's presence was right there. As they're going, they're blowing with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord's following after them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets and the rear reward. This is the normal marching order of Israel. Six tribes worth of soldiers in the front, the Ark of the Covenant. Six tribes worth of soldiers in the back. If you ever want to reference that, you can read Numbers 2. I'm not going to go ahead and read through that whole chapter again to give you the order. You can study that on your own. They did this, verse 9 says, and then we'll get to what happens next in a minute. They actually camp and they you know, just sit there for the night. It would take a few hours to march around the city. And that took courage and perseverance. I mean, it's not like there are friendly people waving at you from the top of the walls. It's not like a parade. I mean, these are people who want to kill you because they're pretty sure you're there to kill them. So there's definitely soldiers with arrows who are looking to pick off people. This would have taken great courage and perseverance because it would have exposed them to archers or even sorties from the gates of Jericho. If Jericho came out with cavalry, it's not like Israel could respond in time to get into the city and they could lose a lot of soldiers. They had to trust that God would protect them in this vulnerable position marching around the city. Now, if you're a soldier in that moment of time and you see the Jericho with notched arrows and things like that, it would be tempting to take matters into your own hands or maybe try frightening off any watching soldiers. They would need to keep their nerve and obey God's words completely, which is what Joshua reminded them before they began. Look at verse 10. And Joshua had commanded, so he did this in the past before they got started. He had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. What Joshua most likely means, it doesn't mean probably they all had to like take a vow of silence for six days. I don't think That's probably the case. It's possible. But most likely this means no battle cries meant to intimidate the Jericho soldiers. God wanted it to be very clear to Israel that this wasn't about their ability to frighten the enemy into submission or surrender. This wasn't about their ability to conquer the land. This was about God judging wicked men who refused to repent. And that is something that we must never forget when we see the judgment of the Canaanites. We're going to read today that Israel will slaughter every man, woman, and child in Jericho. And I realize that that is severe. It sounds severe because it is severe. There's no getting around that. But every single Canaanite could have avoided it by repenting 
and putting their trust in the Lord like Rahab did, like the Gibeonites would later on. God would have shown mercy to every single one of them, but instead they stubbornly chose to resist. Now, it is possible that Joshua ordered absolute silence for six days. It would be intimidating to look up at those double walls every day. It would be tempting to complain. Do we have any other plan besides marching around the city and shouting? Do you think these walls are actually going to come down when we shout? Have you ever heard of that happening before? What if Jericho decides we aren't actually going to do anything and sends out a sortie while we're vulnerable? Or what if reinforcements come from the other kingdoms while we sit here and do nothing? We'll be sitting ducks if we're attacked while we march. There would be a temptation to think some of those things. So it's possible he said, I don't want any talking. You ever do that with your kids sometimes? No one's allowed to talk. There's too many temptations around. It's possible that that's what he was doing. Whatever the reason, though, either way, Israel needed to follow the instructions that they didn't fully understand. They needed to follow instructions they didn't fully understand, recognizing that God's plan was the best. And I ask you tonight, do you follow God's instructions when you don't understand? That's kind of when our obedience is really put to the test, right? Like we go, no, if I do love my wife, she responds better to me that way, you know, than when I am mean to my wife. That, if you start seeing fruit from that, it goes, oh, well, that makes obedience a little bit easier because it makes it better for me. But obedience when we don't understand or when it, we can't see the benefit of it, that's when it's really put to the test, isn't it? Do we follow God's instructions completely or do we cut corners because it doesn't make sense to do certain parts? Well, thankfully, Israel did obey God in this to the T. Look at verse 11. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once, and then they came into the camp and they lodged in the camp. And then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them, but the rear reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. And so they did for six days. So for six days, they did exactly as God said. No taunting the Jericho soldiers. There was no battle cries or battle shouts. There was nothing. It was absolute silence on the battlefield as they just marched around with the exception of the trumpets, of course. And every day they marched around the city once and then they go back to camp. They come out the next day and march around the city once for a few hours and they go back to camp. When we get to verse 15, we come finally to day seven. And Joshua here, it says in verse 15, it came to pass on the seventh day, that they rose early about the dawning of the day. They needed to because walking around the city seven times would take all day. They would take all day. So they woke up early at the dawning of the day they, and they surrounded, compassed the city, walked around the city after the same manner, but this time seven times. Only on that day, they surrounded the city seven times. Verse 16. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And everyone shouted, right? Is that what it says? I was a little bit let down when I noticed this. Because that kind of seems like the climax, right? Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Hurrah! And then the walls come crumbling down, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to go? That's how it's in the movies. Most times this event is replicated on video or even taught in church. The picture is given of a people triumphantly shouting as soon as the trumpets are blown in this wave of emotion as they finally are going to conquer the city. But that is not it at all. The trumpets blow, and Joshua tells them to shout. But that's not all he says. In fact, he gives this long list of detailed instructions in verses 17 through 19. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring this up because this wasn't an emotionally out-of-control shout. It was a well-taught, well-instructed shout after being reminded of God's full instructions. 
I think sometimes we either get into the idea that emotion is bad or lack of emotion is bad. It's not that emotion is bad. It's just that obedience is better. Obedience is better. Because many times I will need to obey even when I don't feel like it. Many times in life, you will need to obey even when you don't feel like it. Now listen, that song, Touch of Heaven, I can barely get through that song. I can can very verbalize it. It is the perfect devotion song. Everything about that song is about coming to God's word. I'm looking for something new from you, Lord. I want to hear your voice. I want to trust you again. I don't want to walk in my own ways. I want to be undone. That song encapsulates everything I want in my time with the Lord. I can barely get through it. There's a lot of emotion when I sing that song because you know why? I know when I come to my devotion, it's not always like that. I know that sometimes I'm stubborn. Sometimes I'm hard-hearted. Sometimes it's just an act of obedience. And I want it to be something that I always long for, that I'm always desperately looking to hear from God, looking for something new and fresh from him to change my life. But the reality is, even if it feels that way every time, it doesn't make it more obedient than when I don't feel that way. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul, when that whole situation arose, people think, well, man, God really is hard with Saul. I mean, the people are giving him a hard time because the Philistines are going to attack. They, the army's getting closer and they can't take their battle stations until the sacrifice is done. And so Samuel said, don't do the sacrifice till I get there. And, and Saul is seeing people leave because they're afraid. And he's thinking, if I wait till Samuel gets there, I'm not going to have an army. And so he goes up and he, not a priest, does the sacrifice. And as he's doing it, just as he's done finishing up, guess who walks into camp? Samuel. And Saul greets me, goes, oh, welcome now, blessed to the Lord. You know, I've done everything God asked me to do. And that's when Samuel says to him, what in the world have you done? That you would presume you could go up and offer this sacrifice? That you could just go through the motions of doing something and not obey the Lord? But the people, they were going to flee. They weren't going to follow me anymore. So what? Obedience is better than sacrifice, is what he tells him. The Bible says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. I always wondered that. I went to a church where like, that you heard that all the time. Like, especially if you were a kid. I was a kid. I was a teenager. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And of course, you know, ah, I don't want to be a witch, you know, whatever, you know, and you know, cast some demons out of you and fix it and all that kind of stuff. Why is rebellion as a sin of witchcraft? Well, what's witchcraft? Witchcraft is looking for supernatural insight information from a source besides God, right? Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft because rebellion is where I look to myself as a source of information and insight instead of the Lord. That's why it's like the sin of witchcraft. I'm not to look to me. I'm not the source of information. I don't look to my emotions and all those types of things for what I need to do. I need to do what God says. And so there are times when you'll need to come to your devotion or do something else that the Lord tells you to do. You know you need to do. You need to read the word. You need to pray or whatever. And you won't feel like doing it, but you do it anyway because obedience is better. It's better. So it's not that emotion's bad. Most of the time I come, it is like that song, but not every time, because many times you'll need to obey even when you don't feel like it. And sometimes you'll even need to rein in your emotions in order to obey God's instructions instead of doing what you feel like doing. I see people do things sometimes, and they'll tell me, oh, sorry, Pastor Willie, the Spirit just got a hold of me. And I'm like, not the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, self-control. You're never out of control when the Holy Spirit's working in your life. It's a submission to the Holy Spirit. You know, a self-control. God has magnified his word above his name. He desires obedience over sacrifice. God wants to bless us, but it will only be on his terms and in his ways. 
We may not understand how everything will work out, but instead of asking how, perhaps we should ask who. Who is in control? Who has led us to this place of uncertainty? We can trust an uncertain future to a God we are certain of. His ways are not our own, but He is always for us. We can rest in His love, knowing He will get us through all of life's storms and battles. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.